Well, guys, welcome to the Friday evening Sangha call uh, here in Thailand. It's uh, Saturday morning, beautiful day. Uh, uh, Tyler, you had just mentioned uh, Vima Maramsi and was saying that you see similarities between the teachings that he is doing and what you hear here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I guess the, the reason I was asking about it is because, like, sometimes it's helpful to hear the same things described in a different way. And so, for example, if you were to say, like, hey, he's he's talking about the real deal. This is, like, real Dhamma. Like, it could be, I was wondering, like, hey, would it be helpful for me to, like, read or just hear some of the things that he talks about? Um, because it could be, like, interesting hearing it from, like, a slightly, think the same things described in a slightly different way. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that was kind of the, the intent of the question. Okay, well, one of the things then that we can start on is, is that he is a fully ordained monk. Has mm. been for, I guess, what, at least 20, maybe 30 years. All right, so he's got that going for him. Mm. The, the point that you could say, though, that he has not going for him is, is that he is living in his own retreat center, that he is not living with other monks. He had been, but um, gosh, by, by let us say 2004 or whatever, he was building his own center in uh, Missouri. And I don't think that he had been a monk by 20 years by, by that time. So he was not going according to the normal way of uh, the Asian way of doing it. Also, I know that he has gone through a number of uh, bits of changes and that he is also um, teaching Westerners, trying to find a way to get through to the Westerners because the normal language of Buddhism is, <laughs> let us call it high and dry. And um, not only that, but the people who become um, uh, really interested in, in the teaching of the Buddha wind up becoming very intellectual about it. That you can see the intellectualism in Tuladasa and, and Dan Ingram, for instance, because they've written books, highly intellectual kinds of things, trying to put everything together between the, um, uh, the covers uh, and by the way, neither Daniel nor Chuladasa, um, though he's dead now, uh, they never ordained. The same thing with Sinjang Young, uh, uh, that they have not ordained. The same thing with Frank, uh, that these guys have never ordained. And I'm not talking down about them or bad Shinsen about them. Sinjang Young did I'm ordain, talking. I thought. Pardon? Shinzen Young, he studied. He did ordain. He did, some, he did some Zen stuff. I don't know if he ordained, but he went to a Zen um, monastery and stuff. I don't know if he ordained, but you are he... ordained under some some practice or some uh, oh, okay. Right. discipline. Okay, I, yeah. I, I, whatever I, doesn't I matter. You, I will give you that. Okay, that he did ordain, and I will put him in the same classification of ordination with. Um, Joseph Goldstein and uh, Jack Cornfield. 
In other words, they weren't ordained long enough and stayed in it long enough to get any value out of it. But especially the issue of Sangha is missing with all of those who have not fully ordained. And actually, to be honest with you, it took me several years to figure out what Sangha was all about after I had ordained. It is not something that a Westerner kind of sees the way that Thai people do, because Sangha, uh, in a way, is just family. And Thais really know all about family. Westerners don't know too much about family. When you think of family, you think differently of family than I do. When I think of family, I've got at least 50 people. When you think of family, you're thinking of two, three, four, or five at the most. Okay, so just just from that perspective, um, there's going to be some some differences. So so back to uh, Vila Malamsi, um, I think that one of the things that we can begin to talk about today is something that I, I kind of um, make a point of, but the students still don't get it. And that is the value of anapana sati in the sense of the breathing that I think that all of the teachers are missing out on that quality of it. Um, that I have been talking about it for quite a long time. Uh, and, and even with Robert, in fact, Robert is on now. We did a talk yesterday that gave me the idea that this should be done at a more general level, almost to the point of a guided meditation. Now, to be honest with you, I kind of got against guided meditations because I was doing the Goenka uh, thing and the Goenka method. Um, <clears throat> they, are, they generally, I guess Goenka, you would say, does a guided meditation for the body scan. But he actually doesn't say, um, uh, this is what you do. You go from the top of the head, down to the chest, down, down. You look at everything, you get an experience, now go do it. And nobody can do it that way. They needed to be guided through it. And so what happens with that, though, is that then the students would come and says, oh, your guided meditations are so good. Won't you do it again and again and again in the sense that they can't do it themselves they have to have a guide to do it for them. And so that's the reason that I stopped doing the guided meditations was because the students were getting upon them. But now I'm looking at it from the other side, and that is, is that yes, but the guided meditations are ex extremely beneficial because otherwise the student is never guided into how to do the breathing meditation. And so, uh, Tyler, your question today actually fits in with the topic that I wanted to talk about was is that most of Western Buddhism is highly, highly intellectual. But in fact, a good example of it being over intellectual is me. <laughs> I am too intellectual, even for what needs to be done, and that I'm probably one of the less intellectual teachers that you'll find in the West, okay? And yet I see it still that it's too intellectual 
and not experiential enough. So all the intellectual talks and, and writings and everything like that is to teach the students how to do the experiential, but they never wind up doing the experiential because they're interested in more and more intellectual stuff. Yes, Matt, you got a question. Actually, Scott, too. Yeah, I just want to raise the point that um, I'm meeting with this Abbott every week, once per week, and to me, he's like above and beyond every other Western teacher. He's just so simple, and he's so confident in Dhamma, and he's living the Dhamma every day his entire for the rest of his life. It's great, and he's so happy. Uh-huh. All right, who are you talking about? What city? What's the name of the what? What's the name of the, the Abbott? Um, it's the only Thai Buddhist Wat in Burnaby, B.C., British Columbia, Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, the name of the abbot is Tawat Chai. Who? Tawat Chai. Pa Wat Chai. Chai. Okay. Do you know where he's from? Well, I, I know he spent some time in Bangkok, of course, and um, he spent time in Seattle in uh, that what they're called the Tama, the Tama Yama, whatever. What Ah Tam Maya Ta Rama. Yeah, that that's one. the name of that one. Yes, that one. Okay. Well, that's really, really great because I not only know that Wat, but I know the abbot of that Wat and know that that Wat is dedicated to Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. So that if this guy that you're talking about this month is the abbot of another Wat in British Columbia that is associated with that one, he's got my seal of approval immediately. Oh, yeah, there's Buddha Dasa on the wall. So I saw Buddha Dasa on the wall and I'm like, I'm in the right place. You're in the right place. Absolutely. And then. You that was confirmed because you could see the joy and the simplicity in the monk. To where in the uh, the Western Buddhism is highly intellectual. Yeah, the first time I talked to him, he was like, ha ha ha, I'm walking around the lake, ha ha ha. And he was just like <laughs> laughing all the time. <laughs> um, OK, um, Scott, go ahead. Okay, so now that we're talking about intellectual versus experiential, I want to give um, a little credit to the intellectual part of it because um, I was really into that, really into the intellectual part of it. And, and what that did for me is it, um, it created a lot of enthusiasm for the Dhamma, the same way like a scientist becomes enthusiastic about discovering uh, the effects of whatever um, experiments he's running. So um, the intellectual part of it really um, pointed me in that direction, but it wasn't until I, I was an expert about all the jhanas and the, the on paper, what the jhanas were on paper before I started calling Domorado. But when I started calling Domorado, then only then was I starting to realize the experiential um, the experiential aspect of the meditation. But um, because I already had the intellectual framework, I was like, oh, this is what they're talking about. So I think it kind of helped that in that sense. And they may, I think they kind of helped each other in a way. So it, 
doesn't always have to be bad that it's intellectual. Okay, the way then to um, to approach that is to recognize that if a bird is going to learn to fly, he's got to have both wings. And that in fact, uh, that's true with um, the meditation also, that it takes both. But the important point is, is that the experience is more important than the intellectual. But many people will not go to the experience except through the intellectual. That in fact, the, the, the absolute opposite of that is a sutta that's in the um, Majjhima Nikaya to where the senior monks, probably Sariputta and Mahamagala and, and that crowd brought this monk to the Buddha and, and said that he cannot learn anything. Now, in those days, the way that it was taught, in fact, this still works in uh, uh, schools that are called a madras. All right. And what they what the, the teaching style in the time of the Buddha was, is that the monks would teach the young monks a sutta by repeating it and reciting it over and over again. And after the monk learned the sutta and could recite it, then it was picked apart and told what it means and how to practice this. OK, so they started with the intellectual even in the time of the Buddha, moving into the experiential. But they brought this guy to the Buddha to say that this guy cannot learn anything. He cannot learn the suttas. He cannot um, uh, express this. And so the Buddha worked with him in a completely different way. In fact, what he did was he took a piece of cloth and gave it to this monk and says, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to continue to wash your hands. Keep this cloth in your hands all the time. And while you've got this cloth in your hand, you're going to continue to wipe and to clean your hands. And then uh, you're going to repeat this phrase. With this cloth, I clean my hands. And with this cloth, I clean my mind. Now that little mantra was enough for this guy to finally get the point without any of the intellectual kind of, of stuff there to where we also have the idea and this is um, uh, possibly the um, uh, the example is is that when people get deeper and deeper and deeper into Buddhism in an intellectual way Instead of actually practicing and getting the experiential, they want as much information about how to get the experiential as possible. And they wind up first reading a bunch of books and then they start writing them. And then they learn Pali and now they're doing translations. And they still, even though they're translating the Pali, they still don't know what they're talking about. This is the problem with the translations. I mean, look, we've got dozens of people doing translations nowadays, and none of them actually know what they're doing because they're using the same dictionaries and uh, lexicons that were invented by Riles Davies and I.B. Honer way back uh, in the 1880s through the 1920s. That's when all of that work was done, and that's where our um, lexicons come from. I'm lucky enough to know 
a bit about the Thai and the Thai language version of the uh, the sutras to see how different they are in expression. That the that uh, the English language was done by intellectuals who only had intellect and they didn't have the experiential to where within Thailand and the Thai version of it, as you say, once we get the experiential and the guys actually know what the Dhamma is from both the experiential and the um, didactic, now they can actually write a translation that is closer to what the reality is. Okay. And yet some of it, we can't... You, you've heard the expression, the Tao that can be said is not the Tao. That's part of the problem is, is that we need to find a way of moving the students out of the intellectual into the experiential. Move them out of the classroom into the lab. All right. So this is what I'm uh, hoping to uh, to start to work today with is just the experience of the breathing meditation because we don't we i mean how many people have been told oh we'll just go watch your breath all right that's all that you're told and in fact recently i saw a little bit about uh uh this from uh sam harris and he was using all the right intellectual language, but it was clear he did not have a clue about what he was talking about. And I find that kind of amazing because he's one of the primary people that people, uh, uh, he's one of the primary individuals that people go to to get information about meditation. I mean, he's a neurophysicist, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and so, um, what let's do today is to talk about the body and the feelings that are associated with the body. That this is going to be experiential today, not an in- intellectual. We're not going to be talking about Padita Samupada. We're going to start breathing it. <laughs> okay, so the first thing that we need to do then is for everybody to take a nice, long, deep breath. And while you're taking that nice, long, deep breath, notice that you're taking a nice, long, deep breath. Feel the air as it's coming into the chest, as if you were beginning to expand the chest just a little bit. That normally the kind of breathing that people do uh, on a regular basis is an unconscious kind of breathing that doesn't have much movement in the chest. It's almost like um, a very, very conservative way of breathing in the sense that the body is only going to be taking as much air as it absolutely needs. Okay, and that oftentimes that is not well uh, regulated in the sense that we wind up um, airing in conservative so that we get less air than we actually need to have. And we spend our lives almost in um, uh, a, a, a deficit of breathing. And so when the Buddha talks about mindfully breathing in long and mindfully breathing out long, 
that means that we're actually paying attention to it. So continue to breathe and pay attention to the breathing while we're talking. Now, one of the things that we're going to be doing is to slow down the breathing. That normally people breathe at a, at the rate of about 20 breaths a minute. This is the, what they call the standard. So if we go down to about half that, down to about 10 breaths a minute, that means that we're going to be spending about six seconds. Six times 10. Okay, so if we're going down to 10 breaths a minute, we're going to actually breathe six seconds. Most people breathe faster than, than that. They breathe in and out in about three or four seconds. So we're going to actually go down to about six. One, two, three. One, two, three. Okay, so get into that style for just a moment and start breathing in deeply. Three on the in-breath and then three on the out-breath. And that immediately starts reducing the breath rate. But also we're going to be taking in the air. We're going to take a breath that's long enough in time to actually get the air into the body. Taking a more fuller breath. <clears throat> and now I'd like to introduce the next step with this. This is called box breathing. Box breathing is actually developed, um, I think, for the Navy SEALs. At least I know that the Navy SEALs do this. Now, the, uh, the box breathing is, um, <clears throat> is four counts on the in-breath, four counts on the out-breath, and then a count of two or four between the in-breath and the out-breath. Now, this is box breathing. Now, the box breathing is used for um, the in-breath to get the energy very high, to move the energy because you're going to hold it with the in-breath so that the oxygen is going to stay in the lungs longer to get the body energized. I mean, that's what Navy SEALs are doing this for. Imagine that, in fact, that here you are at uh, Camp Lejeune, standing up to your neck in cold swamp water with your piece above your head waiting for sunrise and this is one of the things that they give those uh, uh navy seals in training to do and um their success rate was actually quite low in the sense that they would get about 25 percent of the people they really, really carefully tr uh, chose who they were going to put through this program, and still only about 25% of the people made it through. Everybody else washed out. And they wanted to increase this rate. And this is when they started adding the box breathing. And when they added the box breathing, it jumped the rate from 25% up to about 50%. In other words, a, a huge number of people were able to benefit so that they could pass the Navy SEALs test by doing this kind of breathing. So imagine there you are in the swamp, cold water, up to your neck, dark, waiting for sunrise with your piece in the air, and you're counting your breath. One, two, three, four, in breath. One, two, three, four, holding. 
one, two, three, four on the out breath. So practice that for just a minute. In breath. Hold it. Two, three, four. Out breath. One, two, three, four. In breath. One, two, three, four. Hold it. One, two, three, four. Out breath. One, two, three, four. Okay. Um, Scott, can you sit down? It would be better for you to sit while you're doing this. Even if wherever you are, just sit down. Don't go looking for a seat. Just sit down <laughs> on the sidewalk, in the road. I don't care where you are. Just sit down. <laughs> okay, in the car. I'm I'm seated. Right. I'm seated. So, in in breath again, counting one, two, three, four. Hold it. One, two, three, four. Out breath. One, two, three, four. Hold it. Out breath. All right. Getting into that rhythm for a moment. Just practicing. Now notice we haven't done anything except just pay attention to the breath. We haven't done any gladdening the mind. We haven't done any of the Anapanasati. We're just counting breaths. So now that we're doing that, I'd like to go around and ask each one of you, everybody else, continue to do this breathing. Um, Robert, what's your experience when you do this box breathing? Muted. You're on mute, Robert. Um, I'm more relaxed. Okay. Tyler, how about you? I, uh, it's, I'm less relaxed, at least in this initial version, than when I usually uh, do my normal breathing, where it's like I feel this panic set in when I try to, uh, when I like hold it at, at the top and at the bottom. I'm like, oh my god, I need to, I need to breathe. So I'm, I'm not used to it. I'm not used to like moving through that that feeling. It's a new new sensation for sure. <clears throat> okay, then this is what I would say is is that when you're paying attention to the breath, if there is any panic, you can adjust the rate of air that you're bringing in. That in fact, a lot of us will breathe slow, 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 and then at the end of the in breath, take a huge one, <gasps> a big. Uh, topping off and then letting, letting it out. So the whole idea then is to begin to relax because that's what these Navy SEALs were not doing. They would be standing there in that cold water with their arms getting tired, holding their gun, their rifle in the air, and they get all tensed up. But this breathing will help them to relax a bit. So 
knowing that, we can now begin to modify that to do some other things with it. Because, in fact, as you both said, in fact, one of you say it's more relaxing and the other one says it's less relaxing. But that depends upon what you're uh, measuring it against. Matt, how about you? Unwholesome thoughts. Um... I only noticed this afterwards, but I hold some thoughts. They were just gone. They didn't happen like the whole time I was on that breathing. Right. Excellent point. Excellent. Scott, how about you? Um, as I breathe in, I become aware of my body. Uh, when I practice uh, deliberate breathing like that, um, usually I start to get a kind of buzzing sensation around my entire body. Um, and I just kind of, you know, enjoy it. Okay. So you get a kind of an enjoyable buzzing sensation then. Uh, language that can be used for that would be like you feel vibrantly alive, that you actually feel energized. Many, many students will say, oh, they get tired in meditation, right? Well, they wouldn't if they would do this kind of breathing to really get the, uh, the breath going. Okay, so now we're going to, uh, wait a minute, Daniel, let's hear from you. What do you have to say about this? You're still muted. Yeah, I had a similar experience to Tyler where like normally I'm just so neurotic and like tense that uh, it feels like I can never take like a full satisfying deep breath. But when I'm mindful and pay attention to this, I feel like the way like a breath should feel like it used to feel in like when I was a kid, I would take deeper breaths and I feel like release of tension in like the lung and chest area and it feels like actually gratifying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Todd, you had your hand up for a moment. I mean, not Todd, but Tyler. Yeah, so I was just trying to understand like the purpose of energizing because when I, when I think of deep breaths, I thought the main purpose of the deep breath was to kind of almost relax like your whole body and, and mind. But then like the energizing aspect of it almost seems counter to it. But um, so I'm trying, I'm having a hard time like squaring the purpose of like this energizing breath with also the deep breaths. Okay. All right. Um, so you, you've got an either or kind of idea rather than recognizing that you can, in fact, feel buzzing, energized, relaxed at the same time, full of energy mm. and relaxed. And in fact, when we're tired, we're not relaxed. We want to relax when we're tired. And so we go try to relax when we're tired. Uh, and so uh, when we do relax, then we're no longer tired, which means that some of the energy is coming back. And if we practice breathing, we'll actually energize the body, getting it more fit um, with the oxygen coming in and the carbon dioxide going out. It's kind of like a, um, a purification process. Imagine a piston engine, 
a regular, you know, ice engine, not an electric car, but a regular engine. They have things in the old days, they had carburetors. Now they've got some newfangled stuff, but in the old days, we had carburetors. And the carburetor had to, uh, to mix the air with the gas uh, or the, the fuel. And that also you had to have the exhaust correct, that if you've got the exhaust blocked up, the engine is not going to run well. That's why they, the old joke was to put a banana or a potato or something in somebody's tailpipe. It's because the engine's not going to run very well that way. And also, if the engine is detuned and not getting the right mixture of the gas with the air. And that's the problem with carburetors is because at different um, uh, RPM of the engine, the gas ratio and oxygen ratio mix is, um, let us say, more efficient at a different level depending upon the, the engine revs. That's why more modern uh, uh, carburation systems actually can adjust the airflow with the fuel mixture for maximum performance. But you do know that if you, uh, uh, if you choke the engine and put a lot of fuel in it, it might be able to get the engine started, but it really does not run well when the choke is on, that you've got to have the air. All right, and then the engine will run well. Okay, and if the engine is running well, then the engine can feel like because it's running well, it's relaxed. But if it is struggling because the tailpipe is uh, shoved up or because the, uh, the air-gas ratio is not well, then the engine is um, not going to perform well. It's going to struggle. So that analogy may help you to understand why it's okay for you to feel energized and relaxed at the same time. That in fact, that makes a lot of sense. Under Pardon? I said that that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, thank you. Okay. So now that we're understanding that, we can also understand that bringing it down to a, uh, to a count of uh, 10 or 12, actually then is slowing the breathing down. But as Tyler has already uh, uh, mentioned, that that may be even uh, a way of going more, that we can in fact begin to practice with that. And that one of the things that we're also going to be doing is changing the box breathing around because that box breathing is supposed to get the, uh, uh, the Navy SEALs up, ready for action. They want them fully energized, okay? What we're going to be doing is working in the opposite direction, which is to relax the body while keeping it full of oxygen. And so in that regard, we're going to change that wait time between the breaths. And this is actually kind of important, and I'll mention it later, so that we take the breath in and then we move it out. And then we pause. So four, breaths on, uh, four counts on the in-breath, four counts on the out-breath, and then pause at the end of the out-breath. And then take the air in again. So let's practice that for a little bit, okay? So starting now on the in-breath, one, two, three, four, out-breath. One, two, three, 
four, and then wait. Two, three, four. In breath, two, three, four. Out breath, two, three, four. Between, two, three. In breath, one, two, three. Out breath. In between, one, two. In breath. Out breath. Between. In breath. Out breath to rest. So now that we've gotten this practiced for a little bit, notice that this is in fact just as energizing, but it's even more relaxing. But before I tell you about it, I got to get you guys to come back to me. Okay, so let's let's talk now. Scott, is this one different from the holding of it on the between the in and the out versus holding it between the out and the in? Yeah, it's uh, quite different. Um, something I notice is, uh, uh, I think the mental talk, uh, started to still a little bit in the sense that I wouldn't, I wasn't thinking as many thoughts, um, during this one, as opposed to the other one, I had more like mental activity. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a point to that. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Matt. What do you what do you experience? Any difference between the uh, the two ends and yeah, this one was more unpleasant because before I was waiting for the inhale, I was spending the time thinking about how I want to breathe again. Okay, all right. Well, in that case, that means that you need to get more air in on the in breath so that you can hold it for that period of time on the in breath from the first time. But here, after we let the air out, that's when we can sort of just relax completely and just uh, leave it empty. And then when we're feeling like the in breath, then we can go ahead and take it. But that's another point that's important here is, is that after you learn to control the breathing this way by the counting, the counting doesn't matter so much anymore. That if the body feels to take an in breath, go ahead and take one rather than setting a rule. Oh, I've got to wait until the counting is done before I take an in breath. That's missing the whole point of this thing is to set a rule for it. Okay. So Tyler, how about you? Yeah, th this round felt a lot better. Um, I kind of had that same feeling or a similar feeling to what Scott described earlier of kind of like more buzzy, but still just like laid back chill. I mean, the, the, the thing that was a little bit strange for me though, is that I think sometimes when I'm, when I'm meditating on the cushion, like 
I I can get in a, like a rhythm of the breath. And sometimes too, it's like not necessarily even mindful, but they kind of like feel good almost. I'm not sure if that makes sense. But like uh, where here it kind of interrupts that rhythm a little bit and you have to like use more pure sati, I guess, rather than just getting like lost in the rhythm. So I, I found that to be like an interesting kind of experience as well. I really like that you're mentioning that about the rhythm. That in fact, getting that rhythm going, that feels really good is to get that, uh, the rhythm aspect of it moving. Uh, and that has that um, a quality of stabilization that we're not all over the place now, that we're doing this over and over and over again. And one clarifying question. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tyler. I was gonna say one, one clarifying question, and I think you kind of answered it earlier. Is that my my I find my breaths are just like a lot longer. I think that's just the way my body's built. I just take really like long breaths, I guess. And so I was finding myself doing like six to seven seconds on an inhale and exhale. Um, We're about to do that. We're going in that direction okay. right now. <laughs> okay. I was like, am I is this, is this bad? I don't know. All right. Cool. <laughs> okay. Uh, Todd and Miguel, you guys have joined later, but uh, we're practicing breathing now. I hope that you can fall into uh, what we're doing. Yep, sounds like fun. All right, okay. So now that we're looking at um, a fairly rapid breath. Now, wait a minute. It, if normal breathing is at 20, and we have brought that down to about 10, that's still kind of rapid. That in fact, I would, uh, we have talked about long breaths most of the time, and we very rarely talk about short breaths. And most people uh, don't even know what the short breathing in is. But one of the things that we can talk about is, is that long breaths have a range. And that short breath have a range and both of them are shorter or excuse me longer than ordinary breathing ordinary breathing is shallow and light but a short breath is very much like the kind of breathing that we've been doing it's highly energizing we can actually come down to even shorter breath by counting down to three in the sense of one two three one two three one, two, three, but in that one, two, three, in that short breath, we're going to be taking in as much oxygen as we can and pushing it out in that time, almost as if we were climbing a hill or running upstairs and you're getting kind of out of breath. Now, it's not really fully breath in the sense of <gasps> because that's too fast. But one, two, three, one, two, three would be more like a short breath. So start breathing with me like this. One, two, three on a heavy in-breath. One, two, three on a heavy out-breath. One, two, three on a heavy in-breath. One, two, three on a heavy out-breath. Begin to make some noise. Get some air in. 
how we're going. Okay, now you're getting some experience, huh? <laughs> All right. But what do you feel when you're doing this one? Exhilaration. Exhilaration, exactly. Right, we're getting lots of oxygen in right now. What about thoughts? No much thoughts. All the thoughts are about breathing, right? That's the whole point. All the thoughts now are really wholesome. <laughs> this is how I wow, this I'm is swimming. really good. It's the kind of thought. Go ahead, Scott. This is how I feel when I'm swimming. Good point. Todd, what do you experience with this uh, short breath? Slightly lightheaded. Yes, exactly so. Full of energy, lightheaded. I mean, isn't that better than being heavy and tired? <laughs> it is, but I have to say, I really like the relaxation of the previous one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but this is also educational and informative. To be able to practice this and know that you can get the body tingly alive, vibrantly alive. And in fact, if you go into this and continue to do it for about twice as long as we've been doing it for the past five, if you do this 10 minutes, you'll go into what is called a state of hyperventilation, where you feel really giddy. All right, so this is the short breathing, and it has this value that, in fact, we can energize the body very quickly and then go into a longer breath. And this time we're going to go in the opposite direction in the sense of counting to five. And then uh, uh, on an in-breath and then counting to five on the out-breath and then counting for two or three in between. Okay, so this is going to be the new breathing that we're going to practice now, which is getting a little bit longer. In fact, at five, five and two, it's 12 seconds, which means now we're down to five breaths a minute. Okay, so let's practice that starting now. One, two, three, four, five on the end breath. One, two, three, four, five on the out breath. Hold it. One, two. Take an in breath. One, two, three. Four, five, okay. Hold it. Okay, so 
Now we can continue doing this at a slower breath. And Tyler, how is this one for you? This one was great. Yeah, this is my uh, just my just my speed. This one felt really good, and it's like really really relaxing, but more energizing than the breaths I, I usually take for sure. All right, Todd, how about you? Actually, that one just was like tranquilizing. Like it brought me way down. Okay, right. How about you, Scott? Uh, um, very similar to uh, Todd. So I started to feel um, a bit more suka as opposed to more PT. Whereas the other ones, I felt more uh, PT arising, and this one was a little bit more tranquil, more su suka. All right, excellent. Good point. Good point. Matt, how about you? I feel calmer. Uh huh. Marcel, how about you? I think he's Miguel, off in Miguel, got it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Miguel, yeah, I uh, I liked it a lot. Um, I I'm still buzzing from it. Okay. All right. So now, just to top things off, we're going to go for a count of eight. If we count eight and then four on the out breath, excuse me, between the breaths. So you count eight on the in breath, eight on the out breath, and a count of four. That's eight plus eight is 16 plus four is 20. Now we're down to three breaths a minute. This is slow breathing. Okay. So let's start practicing at the count of eight. One. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Out breath. One, four, five, six, seven, eight. Hold it. Two, three, four. In breath. Two, four, five, six, seven, eight. Out breath. So everybody's getting really relaxed now. 
Scott, you're first up only because you're the only one who's got your eyes open. <laughs> so what yeah. do you experience now with the 884? Um, when I look at uh, one of those um, hyper-realistic uh, Buddha statues, that's kind of what I feel like is one of those statues. I feel like I'm just, I'm still, I'm solid. I feel like I'm a, a, a mountain. Okay. How about you, Todd? Yeah, really, really peaceful and, and calm. And I have to say, I like those because I tend to, my normal breathing rhythm is, well, when when I have one, I tend to just naturally pause for a long time before the ex or before the inhalation. So mm -hmm. it feels more natural to me to have like a, a longer uh, hold period there. So I like that. Well, okay. I I have a few things to say about that, but I'll wait on it a little bit. Um, Matt, how about you? I'm calmer and I also feel um, some slight pleasurable sensations in my body. Hey, all right. Tyler, how about you for this this one? With the count of yeah, eight, super, eight, super relaxed and but didn't feel like I could like fall asleep though, which was a, uh, a good a good balance. And, and I had this interesting, uh, you know, like the, the, the pause of four seconds was so long that it really forced me to be like so this put like special sati on that gap because otherwise like and initially i felt kind of like thoughts creeping in during that gap because I, I never really had experienced a gap like that before and so i had to like really kind of like step back and like oh like relax and like focus into that uh that that gap it was like a new new fun experience mm, okay so this is this is the an important point now is that gap between the out breath and the in breath is because of the way that the mind works the physiology of it is is that at the end of the out breath we tend to stop thinking and just experience and generally the thinking starts back up again when the breathing starts back up again this is an excellent way then by this very slow breathing of moving out of first jhana into the second jhana is by practicing on the out breath to let that outflow go. And then when the outflow stops between those breaths, that's the time to see the mind can stop. And now normally when that happens, when you recognize that the mind has stopped, we immediately will jump into, yippee okay, okay, yeah, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, and then we're right out of it again. But we have to practice that way. That's exactly how it's going to happen for a while until you can begin to maintain it. So you practice coming into the second jhana that way. This is a, an, an old uh, sort of secret technique that's been around for a long time. And so what we can now do is through the meditation session is practice. Wow. Getting the breath 
slower and slower, starting with the uh, one, two, three, one, two, three. Do a few of those and go into the reverse box breathing, which is one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and then two on the out breath. And then go down to maybe a count of five. And then maybe a count of six. And then maybe a count of seven. And by the time you're getting down to the count of eight, eight, four, that way uh, you're down to about three breaths a minute. The mind is very, very relaxed and quite easily can go into second jhana. There's not much to it when you do it the practice right now i've talked to students about this for years and nobody ever actually does it so i thought i would take you through it today and to give it. you some experience about thank practicing thank you thank you it's i've never seen that before and it was it's beautiful what about me i, I did it before uh, <laughs> what was that tyler so yeah, just another question about um, yeah. I recently read like the the sixteen pages or sixteen stages of Anapanasati, and you know, in like the I think like the second stage is like the short breaths, and like the third is like the long breaths, just like you described. But then I was a little bit unclear about like what's what's after that. I wasn't sure if Buddhadasa was implying that like then after the long breath stage you go back to a normal breath, like a a, a like where no, it's kind of like no. Oh, I see. Let me actually read the sutra for you so that you can get it. All right, sweet. on here so just get one of them to get started okay okay here a bhikkhu gone to the forest or to the foot of a tree or to an empty hut he sits down uh, with his body erect and establishes mindfulness to four, okay, that means it's right in front, this is it, mindfulness, which means sati. Breathing in long, he understands, I breathe in long, in fact, breathing in long, um, breathing out long, he understands that he is breathing out long. He breathes in short, he understands that he breathes in short. And breathes out short, he under he thus he trains oneself. I shall breathe in experiencing the whole body. He thus trains himself, I shall breathe out experiencing the whole body. Okay, so in this long in-breath, we practice the breathing first. Then as you know, with the Goanka method, they do this scanning technique, which is the experiencing of the whole body. 
basically you guys have already been experiencing the body because you're saying that you feel kingly alive. Right? You, you experience that. Others will experience tightness in the chest. So when we're breathing this way, we can actually experience the body. An example of that would be anxiety. Anxiety uh, or uptightness. And in fact, I like the word uptight. Because that's what we do. We tighten up. And if we tighten up, uh, we are um, anxious, ha having anxiety, and we want to get rid of it and we don't like it. And so this is much of the practice that the students have of, of as they experience things, they don't like it and they want it to change. Here we're doing something completely different here as we experience the body while we're breathing. In other words, we start with the breathing first. And as we then begin to experience the body, we can begin to play with it using the breath. So if there's any tightness in the chest, we can breathe into that tightness in the chest. If there is any headache or any tightness or tension into the, uh, to the head, we can experience that tightness in the neck and actually, though you've never seen any meditation teacher uh, tell people to do this in the meditation hall because they're supposed to sit still. But if you experience tightness in your forehead, then give the poor thing a massage. There, there now. Everything's going to be okay. And rub it out. If you have anxiety in the chest, then you can actually rub that out while you're breathing in and breathing out. If you have tensions in the neck, which is one of the reasons why people have uh, headaches in meditation, is because they're tensed up in the shoulders and, the, and in the neck. And so we can massage that and let it go and start to relax. Now, we're not going to be able to relax the body until we experience where it is that's not relaxed so that we can relax it. And so this is the way that we would do this with the... Uh, uh, the breathing is that we're going to continue the breathing. So let's read the next passage of it here. Um, well, it's okay. I breathe in. Uh, he trains thus. I shall breathe in uh, resting the body. Now, in this translation, it uses the word tranquilizing. That's a big, highfalutin intellectual word. That's not something that we're actually going to do is tranquilizing the body. But what we are going to do is we're going to rest the body, relax the body. That's what we should be talking about here. The Pali word, by the way, has to do with passage, pacifying the body. Thus he trains himself. This is all a matter of skill development and trains. I shall breathe in long experiencing, the word is rapture here, I would say exhilaration, experiencing being vibrantly alive. He trains himself. I shall breathe in experiencing pleasure. This is the sukha. He trains himself. I shall breathe in, ex breathe out long, experiencing pleasure. He trains himself 
thus I shall breathe in long experiencing the mind in relationship to the feeling. So we begin to see these connections between them, but always the sutta, every statement of it, all 16 phases is, thus one trains oneself with the long breath. Breathing in and breathing out, we train the mind this way. So, um, a lot of people think that, oh, well, Anapanasati is just one of the steps, and I do that, and then I'll go do some of the other steps. No, the Anapanasati, the mindfulness of breathing, is done in each and every step. Each and every step that we do, we do it. And so experiencing the body would be then experiencing the tensions, experiencing the anxiety in the body, and then breathing out and breathing in long, we experiencing breaking that up and letting the body relax. So this is the way that we would practice. But when we practice on an intellectual way, we think that it all has to do with the thinking. Oh, if I think good thoughts, then I will be relaxed. Well, if you think that might happen, but you're missing an important set of skills that you have there, the, the human body and the breathing. And so this is what I would like to teach you today is, is to spend time on this practice of watching your breathing. Play with it. Do these various counts. Learn the difference between what is a, a, a quick breath and a longer breath and a longer breath and even a longer breath than that. So we're working starting at about 10 breaths a minute going down to about three breaths a minute. We don't need to go any slower than that. But when you get really, really relaxed, you will. But you'll still be breathing slowly, but you'll still be breathing in fully. So that you can get it down to even um, one breath, uh, let us say breath and a half in a minute, maybe even down to one breath a minute. We know that people can do one breath a minute. Ordinary people, well, I wouldn't say ordinary. Let us say those students who practice the trumpet or the trombone well enough to get into the um, uh, the Allstate band which was a very big deal in the 1950s. Every state had all state bands and whatnot. And one of the things that trumpet players do is see who can hold the longest note. And trombone players could go about 50 seconds, and trumpet players could go maybe a minute or a minute and two, like that. This is how long that they can hold it. So this means that anybody can do that. You can slow your breath way down, but you do it in stages and in steps. And as your body gets more relaxed, you could slow the breathing down even more than that. But we're still watching and paying attention to the breath and watching and paying attention to how we feel in the body. And as we're doing this, also, we're taking the mind off of the world. We're taking the mind out of the past and taking it out of the, uh, the future and putting the mind right here in the body, right here in the present moment. All the time that you were practicing these things that we've been doing for the past hour, very few people said, well, 
I stepped thinking about my grandmother the whole time. Nobody is doing that. <laughs> when we're counting the breath, there's very little else going on. And surprise, surprise, any thoughts that we had of anxiety and frustration and tension, because we're counting the breath and being in the present moment, those thoughts melt away. And so do the, uh, the feelings that are associated with the unwholesome thoughts. And so in a way, a lot of students, when they hear about Anapanasati, they practice it upside down. They think that the mind is going to do all of the work. No, the mind, we're only going to be using the mind to control the breathing and let the breathing do all of the work. So does anybody have any comments about this? Todd, do you have something to say? Uh, no, I mean, this has been great. Thanks. You're actually, because I was going to ask if it was okay to go even slower, and then you answered that, because after we did that, I, I noticed mine slowed down to 10, 10, 10, and it felt pretty good for a while. Um, and I wondered if there was like a safe limit eventually, or if it just kept going. Yes. Um... Play with it for yourself. Get your own rhythm for yourself. That this is not a rule that you've got to follow. This is a uh, an experience that you can give yourself by by um, uh, using the idea of it. So yeah, we can in fact play with um, with with the breathing. <clears throat> Scott, do you have anything to say? Uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting um, how you emphasized this and this alone because it's so effective and it's hard to confuse. Um, whereas gliding the mind, a lot of people get confused about what a wholesome thought and an unwholesome thought is and they spend a lot of time like arguing with themselves internally about uh, <laughs> whether or not they're <laughs> thinking wholesome thoughts or not, which all you have to do is just let all that go and just take some enjoyable deep breaths and that glad yeah. and that will gladden the mind and what that does is now the wholesome thoughts uh sprout out of that so not that the thinking has to stop but like um your 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 thoughts will naturally become more wholesome when you uh calm the body down because the mind and the body are one one system so the right mind, yeah <laughs> that, that's brilliant that's exactly correct Robert, do you have anything to add? No, but um, thank you. This one's been really, really helpful for me. I've had a great time here tonight. We just did this yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Miguel, how about you? Do you have anything? Oh, I love it. I uh, This is the first time I've... Uh, I've done this one, so uh, I'll be looking at the at the video as soon as it's up. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, guys, this has been a really, really great session. I've really enjoyed it. Does anybody have any more to say about it? Everybody looks very happy and smiling. Yes, Matt. I just want to say I find it interesting that some of the most popular Western teachers specifically say, absolutely do not control the breath, like Lee Brasington and Chola Dasa, as if the natural breath is the precise best one. 
for some reason. And then the mind will just wander right away because we've got no investment in it. Yeah. With this kind of breathing, we're really heavily duty invested in the breathing, which is exactly what the sutra is talking about. We're training. Uh, this is a training session to understand this long breath, to understand this short breath. Yes, Tyler. Just a clarifying question, because you said uh, to go kind of in stages of slowing down the breath, like start a little bit shorter and then kind of work your way down slower. But well, I guess why not just go straight for like the, the long one immediately? Well, if you can, then great. But not everybody uh, can okay. do that. Uh, and then they'll <laughs> feel bad because they can't do it. But there's a method okay, to okay. get down to that. You've yeah, already been okay. practicing. So good for you. Now you've got a tool that you can practice even more. Yeah, get it down to maybe uh, one breath a minute. Now that's long. Doing doing one breath in a, in a minute, counting to twenty on the in breath, twenty on the out breath, and twenty in between. Uh, that requires a lot of uh, training, but you can do it. Not a problem. In fact, the place to uh, to begin to uh, let us say, if you wanted to have a goal, the goal would be two. The goal would be two breaths a minute. Oh, Scott, um, you talk. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, one thing I, I wanted to say before I got to go right now um, is uh, something I haven't found anywhere else that's been immensely important is the sangha. So it's really good to see everyone here and just having a real sangha where everyone cares about each other. It really gladdens my mind just thinking about uh, people in the sangha and and uh, keeping up practicing with each other. So that's that's been like almost crucial. Like that's like that's really great. Really great to have you guys. I I agree. Thanks for bringing that up. Yes, the sangha and doing this together as a group and talking about it as a group, I think, is very beneficial. Okay. Bye bye. Yeah. Okay, guys. This is great. Evening. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really pleased that we got something value out of this. And so we'll see you next time. Anybody want to call? Go right ahead. We'll talk to you. Thank first. you, Damar. This has been really great. Thank uh, you so much. Bye. See you guys. Bye, everyone. Glad to see Sangha happening. We got a convoy going. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye, guys. Bye.